Lesson 7 for February 7 to 13. Dealing with Fights. Sabbath afternoon, February 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for life and health and strength and all that you give to us. But sometimes we find ourselves in situations which are difficult. And as we study about some of those this week and how to answer them in light of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Let's read that again. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs again denounces the deception of appearances. We may seem to have everything the world offers, wealth, power, pleasure, fame, yet behind the facade tension and misery flourish. It's even possible that the cause of this tension and misery is precisely the wealth and pleasure that people strive so hard for. As an Egyptian proverb notes, better is bread with a happy heart than wealth with vexation. That's from Mirin Lichtheim from uh, the New Kingdom Volume 2 of Ancient Egyptian Literature, a book of readings published by University of California Press 2006, and that was from page 156. According to the book of Proverbs, the first step to solve this problem is to recognize what our priorities are. Peaceful relationships are more important than wealth, as our memory text tells us. What counts is not so much what we have, but who we are within ourselves. The advice that follows will help in restoring this priority and lead us toward an inner peace, shalom in the Hebrew, that will add to our happiness. Sunday, February 8, Sin and Sinners Question. Read Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 and 19, verse 11. What crucial point is being made in these texts? How should we deal with others who fall? Well, let's have a look. Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. And chapter 19, verse 11, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. When someone messes up, it's so tempting to spread the story, to tell others. Have you heard about what so-and-so did? Though we might act as if we are appalled by the action, we still like telling others about what happened. In short, we are gossiping, and that's what we're being warned against, because this behaviour will generate contention even between close friends. After all, if a friend of yours messes up, what kind of friend are you if you go around telling others about it? We are advised instead to cover the mistake. 
This is not, however, to imply that we have to hide the sin, to act as if it never happened, as if the person never did wrong. The sin that is covered is still present, even though hidden. In fact, the Hebrew word for cover in this expression has the specific connotation of forgiving, as in Psalm 85 verse 2, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people, you have covered all their sin, and Nehemiah 4 verse 5, do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Love, not gossip, should be our response to someone else's mistake. Question Reading Proverbs seventeen seventeen and First Corinthians thirteen five to seven, how does love help in coping with a friend's mistake? First of all, Proverbs seventeen verse seventeen A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And first Corinthians chapter thirteen verses five to seven does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. One does not love a friend or spouse because he or she is perfect. We love in spite of their mistakes and flaws. Only through love do we learn not to judge others, because with our own faults and shortcomings we could be just as guilty. Instead, we can mourn with them over what they have done and seek in whatever way we can to help them work through it. After all, what are friends for, if not for this? And so to finish the day, think about a time you messed up badly and you were forgiven, ministered to, and comforted. What does that tell you about how, if possible, you should do the same for others? Monday, February 9, Be Just True love is not blind. That we cover someone's mistake through love does not mean that we do not see the sin and do not recognise it as such. Love and justice go together. The Hebrew word for justice, zedek, Z-E-D-E-Q, also means love, charity. We cannot have real compassion if we are not just, and we cannot be just if we do not have compassion and love. The two concepts must be together. For example, the exercise of charity toward the poor should not be done at the expense of justice. Hence the recommendation not to favour the poor in court. Exodus 23 verse 3. If love obliges us to help the poor, it would be unjust to favour them when they are wrong, simply because they are poor. Justice and truth should therefore go along with love and compassion. It is this wise balance that characterises the Torah, the law of God, and which is taught and promoted in the book of Proverbs. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 17 and 19 verse 25. What do they say about the need for rebuke and confrontation? 
Chapter 17, verse 10, Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. And Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 25, Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. The fact that Proverbs 17.10 immediately follows the call to cover the mistake through love in verse 9 is not an accident. This mention of reproof in connection with love places love in the right perspective. The text implies a strong rebuke. Question. Read John chapter 8 verses 1 to 11. How do we see Jesus dealing with open sin? Well, let's go to John chapter 8 and we'll begin at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in the midst they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Ellen White comments on this in The Desire of Ages, page 462. In his act of pardoning this woman and encouraging her to live a better life, the character of Jesus shines forth in the beauty of perfect righteousness. While he does not palliate sin or lessen the sense of guilt, he seeks not to condemn but to save. The world had for this erring woman only contempt and scorn, but Jesus speaks words of comfort and hope. The sinless one pities the weakness of the sinner and reaches to her a helping hand. While the hypocritical Pharisees denounce, Jesus bids her, Go and sin no more. Tuesday, February 10, Words Again Question. Read Proverbs chapter 18. Though different themes are presented here, focus on what it has to say about our words. What important concepts are presented here regarding what we do or do not say? Beginning at verse 1 in chapter 18. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. 
A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonour comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked, or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction the heart of a man is haughty, and before honour is humility. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right, until his neighbour comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease, and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We are again confronted with the reality and power of words. In this case, we see how fools use their mouths to their own undoing. Verse 13 is especially enlightening. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. How easy it is to speak out before carefully listening and discerning what has been said to us. How many times might we have spared ourselves and others undue pain and strife if we had only learned to think through carefully what we had just heard before responding to it. There is indeed a time when silence is the best response. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 4. Why are the words of the wise like deep waters? Well, let's read verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. The image of deep waters is used positively in the book of Proverbs to represent wisdom, as we also read in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. It conveys the idea of quiet, but also of profundity and riches. The wise are not superficial. They draw their words from the depths of personal reflection and experience. 
who hasn't marvelled sometime at the deep thoughts and insights from those who obviously have wisdom and knowledge? Question. Read Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. What does it mean? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs again tells us what we should already know. Our words are powerful, and they can be a force for good or evil, even life and death. How careful we need to be then with how we use this powerful tool. So to finish today, think about a time someone's words hurt you in a terrible way. What should this have taught you about how powerful words are? What should it teach you about how careful you need to be with what you say? Wednesday, February 11, Two Sides to a Story Question. Read Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. Why don't fools need time to form their opinions? Verse 2 reads, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Fools are so sure of themselves and so eager to express their own opinions that they are not interested in learning from others. Their closed minds go along with their open mouths. This is a deadly combination. How careful we need to be that we don't find ourselves doing the same thing, especially on a topic that we are convinced we are right about. After all, haven't we all at some point felt very strongly about a subject only to find later on that we were wrong? This doesn't mean that we should be wishy-washy in our views. It means only that we need some humility in that none of us has all the right answers, and even when our answers are right, truth is often deeper and more nuanced than we can appreciate or understand. Question. Read Proverbs, chapter 18, and verse 7. What important point is given to us here? Verse 7. The first one to plead his case seems right, until his neighbour comes and examines him. Only God does not need a second opinion, precisely because, by his nature, he already has it. For his eyes are everywhere, as it says in Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God has the capacity to see all sides of any matter. We, by contrast, generally have a very narrow view of everything, a view that tends to get even narrower, when we get locked into a position, especially on matters that we think are important. As we should know by now, however, there are always two or even more sides to any story, and the more information we have, the better we can form the right view of a subject. So, to finish today, think of a time you were absolutely convinced of something. Maybe a view you have held your whole life, only to find out later that you had been wrong your whole life. What should this tell you about your need to be open to the possibility that you could be wrong about things you are fervent about now?
Thursday, February 12, be truthful. A king needed to appoint a new minister to the highest office of his kingdom. For this purpose, he organised a special contest on lying. Who could utter the biggest lie? All his ministers applied, and each one came and spoke their biggest lie. But the king was not satisfied. Their lies seemed lame. The king then asked his closest and most trusted counsellor, Why didn't you apply? The counsellor answered, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Majesty, but I cannot apply. Why not? asked the king. Because I never lie, the counsellor replied. The king decided to appoint him to the position. As sinners, lying comes to us easier than we think. For this reason, again, how careful we need to be with our words. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 19. Though many themes are presented there, what does it say about lying? Beginning at verse 1. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he sins who hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favour of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favour is like dew on the grass. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction, that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. 
He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers, and beatings for the back of fools. The book of Proverbs upholds a high ethical standard. It is better to remain poor, or even to lose a promotion, if we have to lie in order to get it if we have to sacrifice our integrity, as it said in verse 1. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. If we have to cheat, or if it comes to the price of faithfulness, as we read in verse 22, what is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 19, verse 9. What is the responsibility of a witness? A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Lying in and of itself is bad enough, but doing it in court and under oath is even worse. In many countries, perjury is a crime, and a serious one at that. The witness must therefore give a truthful testimony. It is no accident that this verse follows the mention of a friend to one who gives gifts, as expressed in verse 6, and of the poor who are hated by their friends and even their brothers, as in verse 7. I'll read both those verses. Many entreat the favour of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. The point is, witnesses must not be influenced by bribes or by the social status of those they are testifying about. And so to finish the day, read Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 to 22. What important principle is seen here, and how should we apply this to ourselves and to our dealings with those who are needy? Beginning at verse 10. When you lend your brother anything, you should not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall, in any case, return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you, and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it. For he is poor, and he has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there, Therefore I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. 
it shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command you to do this thing. Friday, 13th of February From the book Testimonies to the Church, volume 4, page 195, we read, The spirit of gossip and tale-bearing is one of Satan's special agencies to sow discord and strife, to separate friends, and to undermine the faith of many in the truthfulness of our positions. Brethren and sisters are too ready to talk of the faults and errors that they think exist in others, and especially in those who have borne unflinchingly the messages of reproof and warning given them of God. And from Testimonies to the Church, volume 4, page 195, The children of these complainers listen with open ears and receive the poison of disaffection. Parents are thus blindly closing the avenues through which the hearts of the children might be reached. How many families season their daily meals with doubt and questionings? They dissect the characters of their friends and serve them up as a dainty dessert. A precious bit of slander is passed around the board to be commented upon, not only by adults, but by children. In this, God is dishonoured. Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Therefore Christ is slighted and abused by those who slander his servants. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. It's always hard when those you love or care about mess up. It's so easy to try to cover up for them. How do we strike the right balance in situations like these? Certainly, we need to show grace, as we have been shown grace for our errors. That goes without saying. But does grace always or ever mean that a person can sin with impunity and not face consequences? What then is the right course to take in situations like these? Question 2. As the lesson said this week, most things in life are very complicated and have many facets to them. So, even those things we happen to be right about will usually be more complex than we understand them to be. How can we learn to be open-minded while at the same time not being foolish about it? And question three. What are some ways we can lie without ever using words? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Your Parents Should Be Very Proud of You My dog's been shot 
Braden blurted out in tears to his friend Peyton. Would you speak at his funeral? Twelve-year-old Peyton had never conducted a funeral, but wanting to help his friend, he agreed to do what he could. I planned the whole thing out, he said. The dog is buried in my yard. Braden and I dug his grave. After Peyton performed the eulogy, the boys added the dog's dish, collar and squeaky toy before filling the grave. When Peyton and his family first moved into the neighbourhood, Peyton befriended Braden and learned about the struggles he was facing at home. I told him that I was a Christian and he shared my beliefs with him, says Peyton, and then he told me, I want to try that out. Braden began spending more time at Peyton's home and often spent the night, especially on Fridays, so he could go with Peyton and his family to church the next day. Before long, Braden's cousin, Hunter, wanted to stay with Peyton too. So I was housing three people in my room, Peyton explains. While Peyton's bedroom may be small, his heart is big. He befriended another neighbour, Wyatt, whose father committed suicide. Wyatt had been kicked out of several public schools at the age of 13 and his mother didn't know what to do with him. Peyton spent time with Wyatt and invited him to come with him to Pathfinders and to church along with the other boys, but Wyatt's mother would not allow her son to join in. During the next three years, Peyton offered shared his faith with Wyatt, and one day after hearing that they might be moving, Wyatt handed Peyton and his sister Stormy a note. The note is so precious that Peyton keeps it in the family safe. Dear Peyton and Stormy, Before you move, I want to thank you. When you first came, I had lost my way. I stopped going to church and didn't plan on coming back. When we became friends, I was trying to act tough, but on the inside, I wanted to be more like you, Peyton. When the hard times came and I lost my father, talking to you was a comfort. I learned about God through you. You were and still are a hero, inspiration and role model to me. Your parents should be proud of you, knowing that you helped me find Jesus. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.